This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's midday on Monday, January the 20th, 2020. It is T. Watts and T.R. here again on the Built by Bama online podcast. A lot to get to on today's pod. Right out the gate, we want to pay tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. On this day that has been established in his honor, certainly events around the state of Alabama going on throughout the course of the third Monday in January, which is when, of course, we celebrate the life and legacy of the one, the only Dr. Martin Luther King. Joined on the podcast by Tim Watts, site publisher there for us at BamaOnline.com. And Tim, I got to tell you, man, Sunday night, last night, it was kind of like a retro night on the roundtable there at BamaOnline.com. It felt like 2003 or 2004 all over again when it seemed like uh, about once a week we'd be up till 1 or 2 a.m. with those late-night nuggets. Uh, But an interesting one from you last night in relation to Freddie Roach, the former Alabama player, support staffer, most recently the defensive line coach for the Ole Miss Rebels, and uh, perhaps, perhaps anyway – the possibility of Freddie Roach coming home, the killing native, and joining this Alabama staff in an on-the-field capacity here at about midday on Monday. Anything else to add to, to what you had last night there on the roundtable, Tim? No, I just think at this point it's, it's likely that it's going to be Freddie Roach. It's hard to pin down with certainty any coaching change. We've seen guys, you know, last year Butch Jones was a, uh, apparently hired on Mike Loxley's staff for a few days and then came back, and we've seen uh, – Guys take jobs. You know, this one with Roach is a little bit weird because Saturday uh, Ole Miss announced he was coming back. I'm not sure that wasn't Lane trying to put a little pressure on him to come back if indeed Roach ends up at Alabama because it was just out of the blue to announce that Roach was coming back. But, um, you know, a, you know, a, you know, alumnus of Alabama. I mean, he's been mentioned with the University of Alabama, Nick Saban, several times. Uh, relatively young guy. You know, his peers love him. All the Alabama people that knew him. Uh, as a player as a, or as coming up or as a, as a coach, they all speak very highly of him. So certainly another another weapon would fit the fit the M.O. if indeed Baker's going off the field or, or to another job. Uh, you have a guy that recruits from Mississippi, a guy from the South, a guy with Southern connections, and, uh, of course, he can coach the defensive line. Yeah, um, Brian Baker coached that group during the 2019 season, of course, after coming across Highway 82 from Mississippi State to Tuscaloosa. Um, gosh, you know, my default when I when I look at situations like this, and I'm pretty much an outsider these days when it comes to, uh, especially from a recruiting perspective, but it, it seems like if Nick Saban's going to make a hire, recruiting always has a a big place in that. And Freddie, I believe kind of to get back to your point about Ole Miss and Elaine Kiffin, uh, looks like Freddie had actually added uh, like an assistant head coach title um, to his designation here in the last few days, recruiting coordinator, 
uh, defensive line coach. Um, from the recruiting perspective, knowing that a guy like McKinley Jackson from the state of Mississippi is still out there, the big defensive tackle for the 2020 cycle, how much do you sort of tie in that part of it? It's always a big part, right, Tim? Yeah, I don't think Nick Saban would hire somebody just to get one recruit, although McKinley Jackson's a really good one. But I do think that's a feather in the hat when he's looking at, you know, looking at the overall picture of stuff. Alabama's already in pretty good shape with McKinley. Uh, Pete Golden did a good job. He also likes Brian Baker. They went by and saw him Friday, uh, you know, in, in his hometown and then talked him into coming for an unofficial visit this weekend, which was huge. So all that was always set up nice. But it does help. Freddie Roach has a great relationship with, uh, with McKinley Jackson. Um, but I think it's more about, you know, Roach having good relationships with other kids than just McKinley. But, yeah, I mean, you can't overlook the fact, you know, that, that, that McKinley uh, is a huge fish. You know, a huge, huge, huge fish in this late signing period. And that would give Alabama another connection to him. Yeah, the big picture was what I was trying to refer to more than just McKinley Jackson. You know, how much can you help uh, this program from from a recruiting perspective across the board? And, you know, it looks like Freddie could be that kind of guy. And you know, I know the question becomes, well, you know, what type of situation has he created for the Rebels? Uh, in Oxford over his three seasons in terms of developing talent. Well, you got a couple of guys down at the Senior Bowl starting on this Monday uh, in Josiah Coatney and Benito Jones that uh, Freddie Roach has coached over the last couple of years. So there's a history there, too, yeah, as a developer. You also you have to remember, if it is Roach, that he might not come with the accolades other coaches come with as far as which recruits he signed because Ole Miss has been in a little bit of a pickle the last few years. Hasn't really been a level playing field for uh, for Ole Miss versus the rest. So he's been a little bit, you know, handcuffed with, uh, you know, trying to get kids to Oxford. But everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to people off and on for four years now, I think it's been about possibly Roach to Alabama. They've always said good things, and uh, yeah. they all think it'd be a good hire. This also, I would say, is important, uh, Tim, in that this guy knows what he's coming into. I mean, he served uh, as an assistant strength coach about 10 years ago for a couple of three seasons under Nick Saban. Uh, He then was a uh, director of of player development under Nick Saban for a couple of three years uh, before going back on the field uh, at a couple of other stops. So how important is that, Tim? You know, and, and, and that sort of also takes us into the always being on the Bo Davis watch. Whenever there's talk about a defensive line opening, perhaps, at Alabama, it is always seemingly circled back to Bo Davis whenever he hasn't been in that job. Um, but I, I think Saban likes that, too, about a guy like Bo Davis. He knew exactly, knows exactly what he would be getting in Bo. Uh, but I got to think uh, there's some comfort in knowing that with Freddie as well to an extent. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, you have somebody that understands how you work and how he expects you to work. So there's not that newness, you know, it's not going to be necessarily a new job. He'll, you know, I think he understands the demands of working for Nick Saban. And, um, you know, still, this still has to, you know, there's still a few things there waiting for this to be officially announced, which it might not be. I mean, you know, Nick Saban, Scott V, we'll probably find out from a recruit that, that uh, Roach was on the road. But I know the people at Ole Miss I spoke to last night are expecting him to leave. Um, I imagine that they could try to come back at Alabama with more money or a better offer, but that's going to be pretty hard to, you know, to beat Nick Saban on a guy he wants. Uh, let's get into some, uh, let's get into some conference championship Sunday on the football field, because it was 
another big weekend from the Alabama perspective as far as guys uh, involved in those two games, uh, both the Titans and the Chiefs. Uh, not so much for the 49ers these days, um, but, but get it from the Green Bay Packers perspective. Uh, J.K. Scott handling the pun, punting for the pack. Uh, you know, on the podcast last Thursday, I picked the Chiefs and the Niners. And then almost immediately after the podcast, I went against my better judgment. And on the round table in the thread for the T Watts and TR podcast, changed my pick. I got caught up, man. I got caught up, Tim, and El Tractor Cito. Derrick Henry, and I paid for it. The Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes uh, kind of got, got me there. Yeah, The internet got yeah. you. you yeah, saw I got those, interneted. I'm, saw, I'm, I'll, I'm like everybody else. I got hacked. I got it, hacked, Tim. That's what happened. I mean, there was so much. I mean, look, I picked the Chiefs to start the year to win the Super Bowl. I actually thought they'd be playing the Saints. Um, I, I'm big at the start of the playoffs. I picked the Chiefs every week. So I, I picked the Chiefs. But even me, towards later in the week, found myself – thinking this would be more in a game than, than I did on Monday. On Monday, I didn't think it was going to be much of a game. And then as we got more towards the end of the week, I thought it, you know, it might be a pretty good game. The uh, Titans certainly seem like a team of destiny. Derek is running the ball well. And, you know, the thing about it is with a team like that, that all depends on how Derek run, ran the ball. Yesterday, uh, didn't really get the opportunities that I, that I thought he would. I mean, what do you have, 19 carries or something? But yeah. Uh, I would have, you know, I would have thought they'd have kept feeding him early and trying to, you know, wear him down to get late in that game. But, but you know, that Chiefs offense, man, that Andy Reid, he's a, uh, he's due some good fortune, probably one of the best coaches, um, you know, in the NFL consistently over the last decade plus. And those weapons, you know, that's a healthy team when they got those guys, and it's not just, you know, it's not just Tyreek and and Travis Kelsey who are both you know, all pro caliber players are my home, but I um, mean, you got guys like Nicole Hardman and uh, Watkins. I mean, there's just so many weapons and they're all fast. Yeah. They are all fast. They Dynamic. make you look slow, but I mean, I wouldn't take anything from that Titans team. I mean, that was a good team. That coach, you know, that, that coach is a coach, you know, players coach and you, you have to like, you know, you have to like the direction they're going. And Derrick Henry did have a great year, but when they took Henry away, Tannehill wasn't a Super Bowl winning quarterback by herself. That was all dependent on how that defense played. I thought the defense played pretty well considering, you know, for most of that game, they kept a minute. It's just, just when they shut down Henry, the offense had nowhere to go. And I give credit to the Kansas city offense there in the third quarter for being able to really control things. That was a seven minute scoring drive. Kansas city went on. We, we, we associate that Kansas city offense and understandably so with explosive plays because ultimately that is the identity of that KC offense. But Tim, one of the best ways to negate Derrick Henry too is to not let the Titans have the football, you know, because we think about the Titans in a way of, of doing that to other teams. Well, I thought Kansas city, in addition to hitting the big plays, they tightens the Titans there in the second half uh, in controlling that game on offense. Yeah, they, they, it's exactly what they did. That seven-minute drive, and you could see sort of the, um, not I guess sort of the will. You could sort of see it in the Titans players. You know, they kept flipping over there to them sitting on the bench during that drive, and they looked sort of like, you know, this is, you know, they they look like this is too much to overtake. You sort of felt that they never really had a rally in them. They had that late touchdown. And, um, they had, you know, but they, you never really, you saw in that third quarter, they sort of knew what was happening, you know. They kind of felt like they were, they were like, you got to be, you got to be 
crapping me. They're doing to us what we're supposed to be doing to them. And that's when you Absolutely. that's when you know you're beat, right, Tim? When the other team Absolutely. not only can do what you can't do, but then they can do what you do even better than you do that's, it. There's that's, a, there's that's a whole, it. there's a whole damn song based on anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better. And the better Chiefs than offense you. did it. And yeah. that is that is the ultimate the ultimate alpha male move to to take their game plan, you yeah. know, and put it on them. It's a great game. The playoffs have been great. I mean, I knew I, I didn't have a good feeling about the Packers. Against the 49ers, I knew the, the the Packers' offensive line was just, you know, not good enough. He didn't have enough skill players um, playing in San Francisco. I knew that game could get out of hand. Uh, I mean, I knew Aaron Rodgers would try to battle, but man, that just that that front, you know, if you don't have a good offensive line, you've got no prayer against the 49ers. The Packers and the Pats were basically the same team this year, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, you had all-time quarterbacks who didn't have enough pieces around them. And then ultimately the road was going to run out. And that's, that's the, to me, the Packers and the Pats, Tim, were the same team. Yeah. I've never, to this day, I don't understand what the, what the Patriots did. They've been such a smart organization all these years. I just wasn't used to looking up and them not having wide receivers or they're not, you know, I mean, they drafted Damian Harris in the third round, I think. And, you know, that's a guy that was, you know, inactive. It seemed like most of the year yeah, they, they already have to, six other running backs. It seems what, like, and they're not yeah. even a, they're not even a running back team, really. You, you know, can, so why, you can still get a good wide receiver in the third I, round, I, right? You can absolutely get a Pro Bowl wide receiver. I mean, you could have you could have used that pick to trade up and get somebody. It was just weird, you know, tight end. what they yeah. did. Yeah, tight end, absolutely. You can get a great tight end in the third round. And they did a wide receiver early um, in, in the draft. But they they needed to probably take a couple three in, in yeah. last April, right? Well, they took the uh, they took a wide receiver. What's his name? Big Neil. kid from Arizona State. Yeah, yeah. Neil wasn't it something like that? Yeah. And I think he was injured most of the year. Then of course they thought, I don't know how much they counted on Josh Gordon. You know maybe they thought this was the year, and um, you know I just I think that was reckless to count a lot on him. So they had an early pick. They had Gordon. Um, Antonio Brown for a game, Antonio, right? Yeah, they had him for one, <laughs> one game. And, you know, you, you know, they just – I felt bad. You know, Tom Brady's a great competitor. and They actually won a lot more football games than I really – on paper I expected them to. Of course, the defense was so good. But, yeah, they didn't really give Brady the tools. Um, Brady would have would have, would have stabbed Aaron Rodgers in an alley to swap uh, swap skill players. I can tell you that because they – Devontae you know, Adams, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Packers had a couple of guys there that definitely were would have, would have helped out Tom Brady. Yeah, and so the 49ers win the NFC Championship game in convincing fashion while throwing just eight passes in the game. Talk about things I, I didn't think I'd probably ever see again. That has to rank up there, Tim. And running a fullback. <laughs> now, it, it brings up the question again. I mean, the 49ers, as we've talked about here on T. Watts and TR in the past, similar to the Titans in terms of their approach. I mean, they like to get after you with that run game. It was very effective once again for the Niners yesterday. Um, and then, of course, I, I guess the biggest difference, though, what what the Niners can do on defense, especially with that front. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the matchup that I think everyone's going to be interested in a couple Sundays. Uh, can those guys in that front four for San Francisco get – not only pressure on Patrick Mahomes, but force incompletions or just 
you know, plays in which you don't get killed down the field because Mahomes did it a couple of times again yesterday, extending plays just long enough to give himself time to get over the top or throw deep balls against one-on-one coverage and draw pass interference penalties. Um, that that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, but, but it, it's, it's kind of old school versus new school, Tim. And I think in some ways it, it speaks to what we recently heard Nick Saban reiterate while he was down in New Orleans for the championship game coverage on ESPN about games all about explosive plays, you know, and and so whereas this Niners defense is is great, I don't know if it's 85 Chicago Bears great, but it's probably going to need to be, I think, for the Niners to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really good, really good matchup. And after the games, we'll, we'll figure out all we knew that would happen. But um, <laughs> that, that you know, the thing about Mahomes, like you said, is like he just sort of took Rashawn Evans out of that game. Mm-hmm. Evans would come flying in to make a pressure or, or something, and he would just gently flick it away or step out of the way and run the ball. People forget how athletic Patrick Mahomes is. He's got the crazy arm. He's got the crazy passes and all of that. But that's an athlete. I mean, you saw that on that play. He ran down the sideline. He's fast, and he's a big kid. He's a big he's a big kid, so I'm curious to see that you know Bosa for the 49ers has been fantastic. I think he's better been you know he had more of an impact this year than I've seen his brother have honestly. Um, and even on plays he's not making sacks, he's just disruptive. You know he's just he's mm-hmm. just he's just disruptive. He's changing the game plan, so that's going to be the Chiefs. If they if the Chiefs get time to throw, I think they're going to win um, win in a pretty solid game. But if the 49ers are able to run that ball. And how about the running back, undrafted free agent? I don't even remember that kid from Southern Southern. Was it Southern Miss? The uh, 49ers running back, Mustaire. Um, I want to say I looked him up last night. I couldn't even remember. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and that's uh, with Tevin Coleman going out in the game last right. night with what this looked guy, like. Uh, yeah, I looked him up last night, and he has been. This is a, he. The 49ers were his seventh team. Um. Raheem Mostert, Mostert. Purdue is where he. Purdue, Purdue yeah. is where he's. Yeah. Almost the same colors. Seven teams. The Eagles had him. The Dolphins, the Ravens, the Browns, the Jets, the Bears. Nobody kept him on their squad. Four hours pick him up in 2016, and dude goes nuts in the NFC Championship last night. Looked fantastic doing it. But another here's an undrafted free agent. Yeah, and you look well, at him. 5'11", 185-ish, so he doesn't blow you away with his measurables, but uh, pretty explosive dude in Raheem Mostert. Oh, he uh, and, uh, and, at, and at his heart, he's a Florida guy. So, uh, New Smyrna oh, Beach, Florida. Yeah. Yeah, that was just interesting side note to there, you know, especially when you cover recruiting. And that guy, I don't remember him even playing college football. I don't remember his no. draft, so... No, that's also that though guy. why he that he's also a prime example of why teams don't take backs in the first round anymore because you you, you find a guy like this on the in the recycle bin that ends up being uh you know a a, a, a big time difference maker for a team on a championship run yeah, it also, is t watts and tr on the built by bama online podcast what do you got there tim I was going to say that when, you know, looked up Charles Power, our national uh, recruiting guy, had a tweet, and this guy was a sprinter at Purdue. He's one of the fastest guys in the country that year and still went undrafted. Um, so it's really, really good story. He was a sprinter in high school, was a sprinter, a member of the Purdue track team, he was ranked as one of the uh, 
fastest guys coming into the draft with Tyreek Hill. And so obviously waited his turn, you know, found a spot, able to use that speed. So hats off to him. Speaking of speed, Tim, the Alabama men's basketball team continues to play at a high rate of speed. Uh, its latest win scoring 88 points against Missouri on Saturday afternoon at Coleman Coliseum in a 14 point win over the visiting Tigers. Uh, what's your buy in level at this point with Nate Oates? Are you all the way in? Yeah, uh, you still need to see a little bit more. I don't you know, I don't. I mean, everything we've heard and even early on when they they were losing some tough games and I think they where they start out two and four or something like that. I love I like what they were trying to do. Now, the players weren't always capable of doing it at times. And you saw some of the frustration, but you can see they've gotten better and they've got I don't know how you don't believe in the guy. You know, you got the exact same yeah. team from last year. Regardless of record and regardless of the score, if you watch Alabama play basketball, this is not this is a different basketball than we're used to seeing. It's been a while since we've seen a fun team, a pressing team, guys that'll shoot, a coach that supports them. Um, you know, the officiating of that game was wild to me. And they hit Missouri hit what was it, thirty one of thirty one free throws? Yeah, SEC record. Thirty one of thirty one. That's insane. And Alabama still won by fourteen. So, I mean, if they had just an okay shoot night at the free throw line, they'd have won that game by 20-plus. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like what he's doing. I like the way these guys play. I like they're consistent. Um, they're not deep. You know, the the, the the that kid the kid being ineligible from Villanova hurt, you know, in that regard. But well, man, Quinterly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, he would have added some quality depth there. I mean, you got guys doing a little bit of everything. Petty's been huge. You know, just just huge. And then, you know, Kyra, somebody chips in to help him out. So a lot of fun. Herb Jones, great defender. I believe that uh, this guy's the real deal, doing a great job coaching. Yeah, I'm not crazy about any game in which the two teams combine to shoot 61 free throws. Uh, that, that's not that's not fun to watch. But if they're going to combine to make 56 of those 61, I got to give it up. I got to give it up. Oh, my God, it's that's, amazing. But. I, the officiating, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to get on a rant about officiating. I'll let the Doug Shows, Doug Shows, the BOL writes the television. Yeah, but man, I'm telling you, officiating's terrible. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, it's not consistent. It's not good. It's not just SEC. It's not just college basketball. It's pro basketball. It's football. It's just they've lost their way. So they yeah. can take a lot of yeah. they take a lot of fun out of that game in a heartbeat. Yeah, I like what Oates did with this initial roster like you know he, he could have stayed he could have stood pat on it for the most part because you said there's there's actually a good bit of returning guys uh, but he didn't do that you know even from sort of the transfer portal perspective and going out and trying to get in getting Quinterly and trying to get him eligible for this season which they haven't been able to do uh, but a guy like Beetle Bolden you know think about without Beetle Bolden, what this team would look like right now. Now, he fouled out in nine minutes of action on Saturday, dealing with a back issue in the game. Uh, but he had eight points in those nine minutes. So, you know, I like Beetle Bolden because uh, he brings to mind a little James Hollywood Robinson for me in that uh, there's, the showmanship is there and the energy is there with uh, Beetle Bolden. And so uh, with that, Tim, I'm going to ask you, I got Hollywood at or near the top of my all-time favorite Alabama basketball players. Uh, who you got? All-time favorite Alabama basketball player, Tim. You know, I, I loved watching, you know, Mo, Mo Williams play. Of course, with Gerald, I love that little 
that little duo they have. I've always had a soft spot for uh, for uh, Antoine Petway, the assistant coach. I know he's yeah. a that walk on. He came in. He did so many good things. You know, he was the hit the layup for the last SEC championship against Florida, I believe. You know, did all that small stuff. Uh, but from an overall talent standpoint, I mean, you can't beat you can't beat Hollywood. You know, Robinson. He was a great player. Um, obviously, Robert Ory and that that run Wimp had with Latrell Sprewell was a lot of fun. Antonio McDice, who was a little yeah. bit like Tua in the sense we never really got to see Antonio for a full year being the guy we saw in the NCAA tournament. Imagine that. Imagine that guy. You know, he figured that out late in the year against Brian Reeves and, and that stuff. But imagine that guy going at it, you know, for a, you know for a full season. So um, so many guys, you know, that's, that's been good for Alabama over the years and. And collectively, I always loved Irwin Dudley. Irwin Dudley yeah. was always my favorite. Those were good teams. And, you know, lastly, probably Kennedy Winston was a guy I really loved when, when they, they made that run to the Elite operator. Eight. Put yeah. him over there. I had to cover that recruitment. And people were like, these recruitments are crazy. Well, that one was pretty damn crazy, too. So it's this crazy recruitment's been going on a while. But they sling Kennedy at the point, and he leads him to a uh, Elite Eight. So, you know, a lot of great basketball over the years. So it's good. This is a good timing to discuss this when we see what, you know, what Oates is bringing to the table. Yeah, there's a, uh, you know, you got to take care of the old heads here with this list, too. And T.R. Dunn, for me growing up, Enos Watley in the early 80s, I know that dates me. I love to watch Enos Watley do his thing uh, from the point guard position. You're right. In terms of just pure physical talents, McDice and Gerald Wallace would be hard to beat. And a guy who kind of gets overlooked is Latrell Sprewell, yeah. you know, because of what he became more so as a pro and some of the issues he had uh, as a pro. He was, uh, great, but great he was a great defender at Alabama, but the offense came into play more when he got to the NBA. Yeah, and, you know, obviously he did some off-the-field crazy stuff in the NBA, but he was a heck of a player in the, in, you know, in the association as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. he was a guy, I mean, he was up there, he was high-profile. Um, you know, sometimes too high profile, but dude, that guy's another guy that could that could come in and and, and put buckets and 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 athletic. You know, we see those guys. Wimp had a lot of those guys that were just long and athletic and who could defend and you know who pushed the pace on the other end. It was so much, you know. It was you know. There's a time my kids can't understand it, but there was a time I tell them when basketball was king in the state. When there was you know Auburn had the Persons and the you know the Barclays. And Alabama had Wimp Sanderson in their run, and UAB was no joke. You know, they had they had guys like Steve Mitchell and those guys coming up. So at one point, basketball was the king in the state. And, uh, you know, I have trouble telling some of the youngsters that, but it was a great, great brand of basketball to grow up with. Yeah, and basketball uh, was sort of the uh, originator of some of the uh, sore feelings between UAB and the University of Alabama back in the day. When you talk about the late Gene Bartow and the evolution of uh, sort of UAB as a basketball program and an athletic department in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, as a kid, Bobby Lee Hurt was one of those guys for me. Uh, but again, you got the, the, the older, the, the, the golden era, I guess you could say, of a, a lot of hoops. You even got to go back to CM Newton before Wimp. Um, Leon Douglas, uh, Mule King. You know, all those guys, you know, we want to certainly uh, point out there. But for me, my favorite Alabama player, James Hollywood Robbins. I mean, I, that was the first time I ever saw somebody go behind their back and between their legs through a, a trap while blowing a bubble. 
you know, that's so that's, that, yeah, that, that, that was a that was the most insane thing. The confidence he played with and the, <laughs> uh, the, the confidence he played with, the looseness that he played with. I mean, he had yeah. a he had a level of swagger that, you know, probably wasn't, you know, we see at other programs, but not so much at Alabama. But he definitely brought that Hollywood to uh, to Tuscaloosa. I think he aged went by about 15 years, if that's possible. But uh, it was always a great night. <laughs> Yeah, Wimp's kind of the Keith Richards, I think, of uh, I don't basketball think he's coaches. Aged. He's going to live forever. He, yeah. He's aged numbers-wise, but he looks the exact same he was does <laughs> as I did when he was a kid, when I was a kid. I, I think like, Hollywood did some looks, of that. That yeah. guy looks the Yeah, I think he looked about 110 when he was you know, in his 40s after Hollywood. Hollywood would go between his legs, around his back, through a double team, and then pull up from 28. You know, when, you know whether it went in or not, it didn't matter. Yeah, you know, it was cross half court scream. I'm open. Yeah, yeah. Woo woo woo. They're not guarding Absolutely. me. Absolutely, exactly. Half court. I know. Give me the ball. <laughs> what about all time favorite basketball player in general? Can be college, pro, both. Who's your all timer when it comes to just a basketball? You know me. I'm a guard guy. I like the little. You know, I like the little guys, the quick guys. For me, the NBA. You know, I can go through all the. All the great ones, you know, Jordan and all those, love them all, Jordan Bird, all of them. But Allen Iverson would be, like, if I could pick one guy to watch in his prime, just one guy go into time and see one guy in his prime take over a game, uh, for me it would for sure be Allen Iverson. I loved him at Georgetown. I loved him in the NBA. The dude was a fighter, regardless of what he did off the, off the off the court and everything else. I mean, that guy, that's a little guy going into the lands of Giants and taking elbow after elbow after elbow. That's a guy crossing Jordan over. And on that same sort of feel was Chris Jackson at LSU, yeah. who was that guard. They were so quick. You know, I've never seen anybody go from Florida bucket uh, on a jump shot as quick as, as Chris Jackson could. I mean, his his talking about a between the leg dribble. I mean, you were a blink away from getting that put that bucket right in your eye. So I love those guys, those small guys, those exciting guys. I mean, Pat Way sort of fits that mold as far as a smaller guy that made things happen for Alabama. So I'm always partial to them. Yeah. Go back in the day, Muggsy Bogues coming out of Wake Forest at what? Five, three or so. Played on one of the most epic high school teams ever. Maybe DeMatha. Yeah. They had like four guys go major college or maybe more and play in the pro. So Muggsy was something else. Spud Webb at about 5'5", five, five, won the NBA slam dunk contest uh, one year. There was a there was a stretch for not just the the small guard, but the little, little guard there in the NBA. Um, my guy has always been Julius Irving, oh. a.k.a. Dr. J. It, it all goes back to your formative years, I think, mostly. And if I'm going to pick an all-time favorite, it's Dr. J for me. Simply put, because of the artistry, the showmanship, uh, you know, I almost feel like at 65 or however old he is now, he could come back on All-Star Weekend and win the dunk contest again. Uh, there was just a, again, it was an art. It was artistry his, watching his that guy hair, do his thing. His hair was always perfect. Oh, the fro was he perfect. The, he had the, it was a perfect hair. He had socks pulled up. He had the number six. There was so much about oh, him. Oh, there was oh, – His man. hands, his hands, I don't even know how. His hands, the way he held that basketball, looked like me holding a peach. I mean, they're yeah. just monster hands. And, you know, that, you know I and like that. In-game dunks. In-game dunks, Tim. Not just dunk contest dunks. He would in-game you 
with a, yeah. a dunk contest dunk, you know? You know, back then they were more original. You know, basketball's become cookie cutter, but we had guys, you know, growing up that had those weird shapes and they had those weird shots. I mean, you know, Jamal Wilkes putting it behind his head and, yeah. you know, guys would shoot just so many different ways. Now everybody's the same cookie cutter, you know, that whole beef, you know. Who's the best in-game dunker ever? Who's your who's your best in-game dunker? For me, it might be Sean Kemp. That dude Sean was, was violent a, when he would he throw was, down on people. I'm, I'm talking, yeah, <laughs> on your head. I like, you know, in, in transition, I always like Dominique. Oh, Dominique. Dominique could go oh, down. two feet, he could do it, yeah, too. Yeah, he, he could go down and in transition at three-on-one, three-on-two break, and he could dunk on you without breaking stride. Now, Kemp, like you said, Kemp would, I mean, he was a – he was the mo- you know, he was a monster dunker. He Shaq, tried to he tried to eliminate lineage for your entire family when oh, yeah, he, you he know, dunked to, on yeah, you. Yeah, he's trying to eat your children, as Tyson said. Erase your, I, your I tell DNA. you, I tell you another one that would embarrass the crap out of you was Skinny Shaq. I divide Shaq's career into two Shaqs. And they it's were like both, Elvis. They right? were both yes, they were both great basketball players, but Skinny Shaq, blue chip Shaq, I mean that dude, he would dunk on you. And then sort of carry you off the court and stand on over you as he, you know, as he walked walked yeah. across you after dunk. And he could a big heavy Shaq could dunk on you too, obviously. But a skinny Shaq could get out and transition a little bit more. Kind of like yeah, skinny Elvis and fat Elvis. You know, and I always appreciated fat Elvis more because he kept wearing the jumpsuits like skinny Elvis, and he was he was such the man that no one in the entourage had the guts to say, hey, you know, e. Uh, that, that, that that suit doesn't really work anymore. It, all that mattered was that in in his mind it worked, you know. And that's a level See, of confidence that we've talked about before that I've just never been able to sort of achieve. I that, mean, that dude, all problem. those sequ- all those sequins, karate kicking at that size. I mean, that, that had to hurt. That had to hurt somewhere. Uh, Throwing the hamstring, he'd be on the stage. <laughs> you know, hair just you know uh, perfect. perfect sideburn sweating sweating nope, profusely sweating his ass i'm not a single person like hey man that's not a good look not one you person have his, little, my dude have his little rag you know to wipe his forehead you know and they're probably egging him on yeah that looks great yeah great keep going king yeah. kang it's it's better was every concert kang. sold out you know it must look good oh, every year we've kind of wandered into pop culture now on the T Watts and TR podcast on this Monday, January the 20th. And with that, uh, we're going to combine the two because I know we're both Netflix fans. I know we're both fans of documentaries, docu-series, uh, and kind of bringing that all together. That new Aaron Hernandez uh, docu-series on Netflix, one word for me, man, wow. Not just in terms of how well it was done, but just what I learned from that uh i think it was a three episode series i believe yeah it and was. it was one of those things you weren't going to put down like a good book once you got it going yeah i did the same thing I, i've read so much on that and i followed it extremely closely that i was expecting to be a little bit disappointed um but i wasn't i mean it was i was a little disappointed i will say this i wish i wanted to know more about the florida years they yeah. sort of just skimmed over that, you know. The, you know, we, didn't we, want you to know more about that, Urban Meyer. So it worked yeah. out great. <laughs> yeah, Urban. Yeah. There was it was a four part series, is what it was. Yeah. Part yeah. two, part two hit the cutting room floor. But I'm just curious. That sort of seemed like you know where he took the turn for the worst. You know, you know, yeah. you know, 
buddies were saying, you know, he started wearing tattoos and he started getting in fights and, you know, he started doing it. I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. I just couldn't get over it. I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's a terrific athlete. He's making all that money. And for him to do some of the stuff he did, it's just, I mean, it's just hard for me to comprehend. It Uh, is. But, you know, I thought they did a great job, though, of telling the story going back to his very formative years with the issues with the father and the marriage between the, the mother and the father. And I mean, they dove into the sexuality aspect of it, Tim, which was an eye opener, I think for a lot of people. Yep. I mean, it got uncomfortable. They had his, you know, the, the guy he allegedly was having a, uh, a relationship with in high school. Quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, It's a quarterback. I didn't know that. You know, they had, I mean, oh heck no! They had him on camera. He had his dad on camera. I mean, it was it was good, good stuff. I mean, they got some really good interviews. Uh, talked to a lot of people. The mom, the you know, the to me the biggest thing was like the the eye opening stories about you know like the mom and they had them on a recording talking on phone calls. Oh, yeah. I mean, the mom, yeah. you know, the mom is cheating on the dad with this young guy who was married to the guy he can that the the, the lady he was the closest with who had cancer. I mean. You know, yeah. at one point he's screaming at her, you F me up, you F me up. He's just yeah. going off. From, obviously, there was some stuff there. Now, I didn't really love that they're sort of blamed it, you know, kind of sort of got into the whole CTE thing. They sort of let right. down that, that what caused it. I, I mean, I doubt that helped it, all those hits to the head. But I think Aaron had something wrong with him, you know, the whole time. Oh, there's no doubt. And and, and it was it, it was a it was a devastating cocktail of issues is what I would say and um you know starting from his most formative years as a child uh the ct aspect of it i don't think you can discount okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot to digest. Like, I mean, although I think most of you certainly know the the fundal, fundamental uh, uh, touching point or the points of interest in that whole ordeal. And I, I'll tell you what else I like, Tim. I liked that they that they didn't just gloss over the impact of Aaron Hernandez's acts on Odin Lloyd and his family. I, I thought it was very well done, tragically so, that um, you know, they they very they, they did a good job of telling you who Odin Lloyd was, uh, you know, yeah, letting you know I, how that dynamic know. worked with the sisters. Yeah. I knew nothing about the guy, really, to be honest. I yeah. just knew he he's a victim of Hernandez. His buddy speaking on his behalf, and all, all those people speaking on him. Um, yeah, that that was a different angle. They did. I mean, Netflix does a good job. They've had some really good. In fact, last night when I was uh, I was in the middle. You know, the one of our board posters, Melvin Seahorse, has been on me about watching "Don't Blank with Cats," the F word with cats on a uh-huh. Netflix the documentary. And uh, I finally watched it last night. I've had several guys on the board telling me to watch it, but Melvin had mentioned it last night. So I decided to watch it. I get it's a three part series as well. I get two and a half into it when the Roach news broke. So I was dying like, shit, I really want to see the last 30 minutes of this thing. And 
I got to handle my business here. So their Netflix does a good job with their documentaries. That's another one I would recommend. Um, you know, they, they, I like the murder mysteries. Have you ever seen the jinx on HBO? I have not. Oh dude, there's a, yeah, you got to see this. It's the, it's the best documentary I've ever seen has the best, most shocking ending. It's on HBO. It's called okay. the jinx. Yeah. yeah. I'll text, I'll text you that. It's got, it's got Fred Durst, a millionaire, you know, he's been in all the news. You probably, when you see it, you'll remember a lot of the news snippets you've caught in passing, just searching websites and stuff over the years. But I love a good documentary. And Hernandez, you know, sports guy. And, um, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this Major League Baseball cheating documentary that I know people are working <laughs> on. I'm looking forward to this one. Oh, you know, I, here's the thing about the whole Astros deal. Um I think it's got people more interested in the start of a baseball season than they have yeah. been in a long time, right? I mean, so Absolutely. the old adage that uh, pub- any publicity is good publicity, you imagine, know, maybe maybe that's the case for baseball right now, Major League Baseball. Imagine the trolling options when Boston or Astros comes to your hometown. <laughs> Can you imagine the the, the trolling options, Oof. the banging of the drum, the Whatever. Just imagine if this were football, though, instead of baseball, and you had to yeah. go on the road to, like, LSU or some of these places, basketball? Cleveland. Yeah, How about go basketball? to Cameron. Basketball yeah. is so ruthless. I remember, who was it? Chris Washburn. You remember him at NC? Yeah, he got caught shoplifting. Oh, and also, he, I think, sexual he, assault. Too. Well, he broke in, I think, the story was. A record he store. A record player, yeah. Yeah. Well, he goes they to Duke. Threw- they threw records record on the court. You know, what a re- <laughs> you know what that'd be like a record hitting you? That is a edged boomerang. That thing is an edged uh, frisbee. They're throwing yeah. records. The guy, one guy got charged with sexual like, assault, and they bombed him with panties. Undergarments, so, yeah, yeah, brutal. Could not, I don't, I don't know if you could do as that much of that today. You Heck know, no. In not to Russell Westbrook. If you tell West, Russell Westbrook you hate his shoes, they throw you out. Uh-huh. I mean, they yeah. throw Westbrook gets more people thrown out of games than anybody I've seen. Soft. That's what Westbrook is. He's soft. He talks all where that crap. The, where do the Where do the Astros rank in terms of all-time cheaters after all this? Or is this Or is this just gamesmanship? Does this qualify as gamesmanship? Or is this just totally over the line cheating? You know, when this happened, I googled baseball scandals. And, I mean, this has just been as common as the baseball being white. I mean, it's just as common. I mean, they have been they have been cheating and doing dirty stuff. I mean, it's Loading weird. up the baseball, scuffing yes. the baseball, yes. loading bats. I mean, I, yeah. look at I look back at some of those videos, and damn, Bob Gibson's throwing off a mound that's about three and a half feet. You know, and then yeah. five years later, it's about six inches. You know, that ball's a lot flatter coming in. You know, filled with a ping pong ball, or I mean, filled with a golf ball in the middle. So, for me, baseball is just status. Baseball at the highest level cheats. Well, yeah. the guy to me, the, the the biggest cheat to me is the NBA ref. That's the uh, oh, Tim big, Dante, uh, or whatever his name was. Yeah, he's yeah. the. Worst. I mean, come, I mean, you know, people hate refs as it is. You know, that's our nature. Um, uh-huh. And this guy's actually living our worst nightmare. He's shaving points. He's betting on games. You know, mm-hmm. he's going through all that. And I always go back. My favorite cheater, and I don't know her name, is the one <laughs> the one who hopped in the Uber and did, ha- did half the Boston Marathon <laughs> in an Uber. And then pulls in without sweating like, hey, I won this thing. 
Hell yeah, yeah you you're, you won it by two and a half hours. You beat the Kenyans. Yeah. yeah. She's sitting uh having yeah. a she's sitting having a bagel and a couple cu- cu- cups of coffee while the rest of the field is at not even at the half halfway yeah, point. Uh, always, uh, always, my favorite uh, cheaters. Go ahead. My favorite cheaters are the uh are SMU of the early to mid eighties there. Oh, Pony excess. I just think when you actually yep. are so brazen that you literally have a payroll for your players on paper, you know, that you have documented what everybody gets, that's uh that's a next level. And then not only to do it once, but to do it again. And even the governor of the state of Texas is involved on the situation. Um, and it's and it's to such an extent that the lead investigator for the NCAA, when they go to announce the findings at the press conference, he he passed out, you know, at the press conference. You know, it was it was so over the top. So I've got SMU Pony Excess, Craig James, Eric Dickerson. You know, when they yeah, refer to your car as a trans A and M because Texas A and M gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Do you remember? I love the, it. The I, you remember the Brian Bosworth book, Boz. Did you ever read oh, it? Yeah. He talked about in his Corvette oh, watching the old rigs. They had yeah. those stories from that era, that 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 Big Twelve area. The uh, the stories there. They always talk about the SEC, oh, yeah. the South Chiefs, and all that the stuff. Old big, the old Big what? Eight and the old Southwest Conference. They had to shut man. down. They, they had used to shut get down it done. Yeah, they used to. <laughs> <laughs> they used to make it hat. Yeah, they used to make the magic hat. They probably need to start doing it again. Oh. Struggling over there, but um, there's been, you know, it's easy for me. Like you go to cheaters, everybody's going to go to Lance Armstrong again. It's not cheating if everybody else is doing it. He yeah. just, did, you know, he just did it True. better. It's the same with baseball. It's hard for me to get mad at the Astros and the Red Sox because I mean every baseball's been cheating the whole time. It's those individuals. The uh, <laughs> The uh, the girl skater who like went hack a shack on uh, the other girl skater Nancy Nancy yes Tanya Harding yeah and then, uh, she that, got she got Tanya Harding and her boys that's, that's her cheating. boys that's cheating to me yeah. when you take a billy club or yeah, you take a, a blackjack and you hit somebody in the knee mm-hmm. trying to knock them out of winning winning a war a, a skating trophy you want that's cheating got to respect it a little bit um, yeah. But yeah the baseball, oh, there's just so much. I mean, and the, you know, it was, it was funny. I'm curious why. I've been curious why they haven't did a postseason ban. Uh, Astros, that just seemed like a given, right? I mean, you get busted at this level Same of cheating, point. but they didn't. But I'm wondering how deep this is going to go. Because, I mean, I saw some guy come flying out off the top rope going, Tommy La Russa! <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so we I got think guys. Tim just combined Tommy Lasorda and Tony La Russa, but I dig it. I like the hybrid. Dude, imagine yeah. that guy. Imagine the coaching ability uh, of the coach of their their love child. Yes, but he oh comes in goodness. flying in off the top rope off on a, on a La Russa, you know, out of the blue. So we're going to hear yeah. a lot of people, and this is the best way, hey, if you played in the 80s and you didn't make a lot of money and you're sitting at home, you're working at Home Depot, you, nobody's yeah, mentioning that. Nobody's mentioning that. Yes, I mean, dude, it, that's the thing that, like, that kills me about the Astros and the Red Sox. Y'all had one of the highest budgets in baseball. Okay. You had extreme Rolls, talent. Yeah. I mean, those two teams. Now, look, if the Pirates are down there banging the drum slowly, you know, slowly, you know, hey, Jack Jump coming. I get it. They got a bunch of they got a bunch uh, of guys making worse code. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah so that's, no, West they're just Virginia screaming. Telegrams. They're, no, no, no. 
No, the pirates are just screaming it. Change up! You know, they're not. We're the pirates. You can't. You know, our budget's eighty six. Eighty six thousand. Get up in the bar. Yes. Here comes the butt. You know, they're like little. You know, they're like the bad little league dad. By the way, there's nothing funnier than a bad little league dad screaming, "Watch the curve!" And then the pitcher throwing the heater by his son. There's nothing. Right down the, right down the pipe. A lot of tr- lot of baseball with my oldest two. A lot. And I've That's seen okay, that. son. We've got I, yeah. the pop-up tent, the orange slices out in the parking lot. It'll be fine. We'll cool off. Change up, and this dude's bringing the heater. You know, <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Well, watch the change up heater. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I mean cheating. I mean it's, oh. I mean it's running. It's you know it's running its course for baseball. I'm wondering how deep this is going to go. I imagine there's other teams, and I imagine if they set a precedent of keeping the Astros out of postseason. That sets the precedent for the whole everybody busted. So then you got the Astros are out. The Red Sox could be out. No telling how deep this is going. So, I mean, we could, you know, the Pirates could be in the playoffs just based on right. that. So that's I mean, like, the Astros, the Astros might have to call up their entire AAA club uh, from Round Rock, the Round Rock Express. Just play, well, call, just, you know, call it that call whole organization, that whole deal. There's nobody to give the signals. That's the ones that yeah, were in the. That's true. They were coming in on the weekends and just flashing. I think even the mascot for the Astros was in on it. I mean, what do we do with the mascot now? I mean, I, mean, uh, I think I think it out, could extend to the mascot. If we find out that Jose Altuve was wearing what are those? Remember those uh that thing you used mm-hmm. to put in your hand and I'd shake your hand and it was buzz you. You remember that old? Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, one of those prank type yeah, gadgets. Yeah. Well, if I find out Altuve was Shocker wearing those, on a, if he's wearing one of those under his shirt on his nipple, and if they buzz you to change up, I'm gonna have real problems. Here's, here's my thing with Altuve. He's so short that if he was wearing a buzzer, the umpire should have felt it because the ground should have vibrated. You know, he's so he's so close to the he's so short. You know that it, it should have put off almost seismic activity. But uh, yeah, you're right though about the. Uh, the 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 big picture fallout that this could still i mean we're not we're not even to spring training yet man you know wait wait till we get it wait until baseball really is sort of the focus you know how you know how these things go one little thread you pull that one thread and then every everything starts unraveling and i think that's what we've done with the astros i mean it was funny major league baseball players you know seen them tweeting and talking like we've known this is going on for years why are we picking up astros um, it's a good question. If you've known it's been going on for years, I doubt it was just one because of the code. Yeah, that and, code, you know, man. And then, well, the Astros pitcher who was with the Astros when it happened, he broke the code, and then all of a sudden, that one guy, that one single guy, has started a massive investigation. Think and, about how long that code has stood up, though, in a sport like baseball, man. Where you, you, what what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's pretty impressive, Tim, that the sport has gone this long with that code pretty much remaining in place. But is that a thing? Is, is, this, mean, is, this the, is this the event that takes the code, so to speak, see, out? Here's what, here's what I'm wondering. How how deep is this if I'm with the Braves this year, and I'm one of those journeymen, and next year I'm with the Mets, or the next year I'm with the Padres, how does that guy not go and tell people, hey, when we play the Braves, watch out, they're going to steal the signal? And how does that do. – I mean, but how does that? Yeah, that's they what do, that's, but they don't. Oh, they don't they go do outside it. the clubhouse. That's, it's usually. like the it's like the old mafia is what yeah. it is. It's like the yeah. hey, you know, it don't go against the family. You know, you do that, and that one yeah. guy that mentioned it went against the family and brought down Gotti. You know his you know his whole little deal. 
um, similar because they all knew about it. So they're going to punish players for knowing about it. I got a feeling, you know, there's going to be a lot of double A players happy they're major leaguers next year if they're suspending guys for knowing about it. Well, the thing about the the uh, mafia is you rat on somebody and you you go to prison or even in the witness security uh, witness protection setup, you're still not safe, you know. Whereas baseball, obviously, uh, that that isn't quite the case, <laughs> at least well, not yet. Hey, let's, let's, I will say this. I believe that you weren't safe until I saw Henry Hill. Yeah. Henry Hill was like on Geraldo. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't, Henry wasn't happy about that, as he said there at the end of Goodfellas. He stuck eating noodles with ketchup, you know. Yeah, Henry was, was – have you ever life. seen Off Topic real quick? There's a movie called My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah. He's a <laughs> – that's a movie. That's Steve Martin as He's a, a parody, uh, parody Henry. Yes, Hill kinda. yes, it yeah. is a parody of a guy that goes to witness protection program, and it's it's great. It's a great movie. It's a great movie in its own little its own little you know stick, little tongue in cheek, mocking way. Anyways, let's continue. You, let's get into the mailbag as uh, we head down the home stretch of this Monday edition of T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama Online podcast. Tim, we'll start with B-Hug in the roundtable thread for the T-Watts and TR mailbag. B-Hug says he uh, he or she really enjoys the show. You guys always do a fantastic job. We certainly appreciate that, B-Hug. A topic of interest that B-Hug has, NFL draft and players from the major playoff contenders who have declared for the 2020 NFL draft. We know the situation at Alabama. Tim, Najee Harris most recently uh, making it known at least that he's going to be back for the 2020 season. But the mass exodus at LSU, uh, a couple of big departures for, let's say, Clemson. Uh, Ohio State looks like it's coming out of this thing in pretty good shape from an underclassman perspective. Um, what do you think? Uh Oh, for LSU, Burrow, you know, he, he had to go. He was a fifth-year senior. But as far as classmen are concerned, is it Delpit? Is it Justin Jefferson? Is it Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Um, you know, maybe one of those offensive linemen, multiple off, offensive linemen for LSU moving on to the league. I mean, obviously, LSU got hit the hardest. But, but of that group, the guy that you think LSU might miss the most, uh, Caleb Vaughn, Chason, the edge defender also. I mean, there's so many for LSU. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's, you know, I think when you, there's certain guys you expect to go pro. You know, when you look at these, when you recruit, um, when you have these kind of guys like, you know, you expect Najee Harris to go. I mean, I'm sorry. You expect Jerry Judy to go pro. You expect Tua to go pro. You know, at this stage, at the end of the season, you're expecting those guys. What you don't want to do is you don't want to lose, if you're college coaching staff, you don't want to lose a surprise. Last year, Alabama lost Savion Smith, although they knew he was you know, co- not really college material, but they also lost Mac Wilson. Those are unexpected surprises. When I look at LSU, they lost some great talent, but it was guys you knew were going pro. The one that stands out to me the most is they lost the center, the Dewberry kid. Cushionberry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chris, is that his name? He, Boy, Cushionberry. Yeah, I, yeah so, you're right. That was yeah. a big one. That's big just because. Because, you know, you have a guy that's, you know, man in the middle. He's a really good player, underappreciated player. And you didn't really necessarily, necessarily be the equivalent of, you know, Landon Dickerson going pro almost. I mean, that's a 
that's a loss the staff's really not really going to make up. I mean, Chazon, they knew how good he was. Delpit, they knew he was going pro. You know, most of those guys, I think they expected. But, you know, the Moss guy, Randy Moss's son, you know, Thaddeus, he go, he's going pro. You don't really expect that. I mean, a lot of people think, well, that's because Gilbert's coming in. But Eric Gilbert, the five-star tight end from Georgia, uh, I don't think that's the case because Gilbert's going to line up at wide receiver a lot. So, obviously, LSU took a lot of licks, you know, and I'm not sure they're over. I mean, they lost, you know, Joe Burrow, which you can't duplicate. And, you know, and, and no offense to – to Joe Brady or anybody else, but I mean, I Joe Burrow kid was just special this year. I don't think, you know, obviously Brady and them helped, but I mean, that kid just had some magic in him that that you don't see very often. But you know, obviously they lost Brady, they lost Aranda, they could lose uh, one of their back guys that they're really high on named Munez that helped uh, helped Joe Brady with the pass game. And then all the talent they lost. I mean, that's a that's quite a, a quite a little run. I mean, it's quite a week for LSU. They win a national championship. And then they're basically put on blast. OJ, you know, Odell Beckham takes over the week, you know, with a lot of the stuff, you know, hot mom dancing. She took over a lot of the press. Nobody was actually talking about what LSU did last week. So really sort of an odd week for for the Bengal Tigers. But, yeah, you make a good point. Ohio State's returning, you know, pretty much, you know, everybody we expected. Um, Cliff's Dobbins, but that wasn't that wasn't a surprise. that's a, yeah, that's expected. I mean, that kind of guy, I mean, running back of that caliber, striking while the iron's hot. I think he's going to be one of the first first backs off the board. You know, Clemson got a huge, huge get when Edna decided to come back uh, for his senior year, the running back there, the flashy running back that's so yeah, fast. Travis Etienne. Yeah, yeah, that was a big, yeah. big retaining for Dabo. It's just nice. You know, it's sort of like their version of Najee, although they're not similar players, but there's a – there's a familiarity with that guy. He knows the blocking. He knows the, you know, the checkdowns. He knows every, all that stuff. So that's a, that's a good get for them. But Bama, I mean, when you look at it outside of a, you know, you look at what Alabama lost. Rugs probably was the most disappointing because I think a lot of, fan, you know, fans at least thought he would come back. Um, I personally think, and I've said this to start the year, I thought I thought Rugs was the one that had the most to, to uh most people to impress. I know the you know, that speed, I don't care what you say. Ruggs' speed is elite. He moves like a cheetah. And you look at a game yesterday with Tyreek Hill, who's just, you know, the absolute, you take Tyreek off that field, and that's not the same offense. I think Ruggs can have a similar impact um, on special teams and that. So I, I think he's going to slip up there in the first pretty good. So other than that, Alabama came away, you know, unscathed for the most part. Bama man for JC is asking wildest recruiting story from the pre Saban years at Alabama. Wow, I, I wish. I, what do you got there? Uh, I, I'm trying to to think back to some that the wildest that, uh, story that, that might stand out. The wildest Saban story before he got to Alabama. Wildest Alabama oh. recruiting story before oh. Nick Saban at Alabama. Let's say Mike Shula. Um, Francione, uh, Mike Price. I guess that one was, I guess Brody Croyle going to Alabama, um, pre Mike Price. Yeah, from a fit standpoint, Brody Croyle was an interesting story because, by all accounts, it seemed like he was headed to Florida State at one point, and certainly from a system fit perspective. Compared to what Alabama was doing at the time with Fran, uh, that would have made a, a lot of sense. But like a lot of kids do, when your heart and your legacy 
uh, because of your family uh, is a big part of, of the Alabama story. Uh, Brody ended up here in Tuscaloosa, but I guess from a coverage standpoint, Tim is what is what Bama man for JC is uh, looking at. Maybe one of the the wildest recruitments that you've you followed during this uh, during this long tenure at BOL. You know, it'd probably be easier for me to think of this after February. I'm so wrapped up in this this class. I can only think of the wildest ones I've covered this year, like Zach Evans to some degree, who uh, has been an insane. <laughs> has been insane recruitment. You know, when Shul was there, there was quite the lull. There wasn't really a lot of excitement. You know, there wasn't really, you know, there wasn't uh, really a lot of, you know, there wasn't really a lot of excitement. I mean, they got guys like Rolando McClain. That was an interesting story. I love to, love to tell. He was in Virginia. He was, I think he was living or dating an older lady. I had to call her house to get his commitment, break his commitment. That was a uh, summer deal. So we had weird situations. I mean, obviously when Saban got here, it, you know, it notched, it notched up to a much, you know, much higher level with... Um, what was the deal? What was the deal with Fred Rouse? Remember Fred Rouse? The, uh, the Tallahassee Lincoln wide receiver that Alabama was involved I mean, that, with? That's just a talented kid. That You're talking about a knucklehead. I, I, I liked him. He would give me interviews. I talked to him a lot. He was a good guy. He was too grown for his own good. You could tell that right away. I covered the, the California-Mississippi, I mean, California-Florida All-Star game, and Fred, when I, I first time I met him in person, he threw his arm around me. We were best friends. I thought we were going to meet the meet the family. He's just a good, good kid, but you know he would flirt with Alabama. Um, never was going anywhere else but FSU. Never never had a prayer of going anywhere else FSU. Although he flirted around with other schools and all, Alabama was one of those. You know that's one of those big name guys that they fought for, and you sort of knew they weren't getting. I mean that kid wasn't getting out of Tallahassee. Kind of like Tebow. Kind of like yeah. Tebow for Florida Tebow. State, Fred Rouse. Yeah, Tebow was a great – I love covering Tebow. Um, you know, that was such a good time for us, especially when you look at, like, Shula hadn't offered another quarterback. You know, they're, they're, they had the smelly kid over there at ACA and um, the one they ended up at South Carolina, and everybody was like, offer him, offer him, offer him, and, you know, he ended up going to play for Steve Spurrier. So there was a lot of pressure. Ended up with Greg McElroy in that class, but – just following that whole thing, and you know, you know, looking back, I mean, we knew Tebow. Tebow wasn't going anywhere but Florida. We knew that. We talked about it. I mean, you talked about it a million times. But you know, the way that went down, and, and with Shula and everything, you know, you sort of wanted to believe in, you know, a miracle. You sort of want to believe in that upset that Rocky actually did outrun Apollo Creed on that beach. You know, which we know that upset never happened either. But, you know, we, we bought into the Tebow hype and, you know, Shula went and spent 12 hours with him. And the best, you know, the best thing to sum it up was that whole Tebow went down to the lake with his dog to think about it. And I had a, an NFL guy that, that knew uh, the Tebow's well. And I said, you know, I asked him when he thought it was a decision. He said, yeah, it was his decision. And I, he said, but I'll tell you this, if he went down to that lake and he had came back with his dog and said, I want to go to Alabama, his dad would say, I appreciate it. Appreciate you having your own opinion. I want you to go down to that lake with your dog. I want you to think about it some more. So Tebow probably thought it was his decision, but he was never going anywhere else for Florida. And, and to be honest, it was a great fit. Not that he wouldn't have been a good fit at Alabama, but he had Urban Meyer. He had the whole Florida Gator legacy. I mean, obviously that was a great spot for Tebow too, but that, that certainly was a, a fun one to cover. Yeah, Fred Rouse. Here's how it, it went for Fred Rouse. Um, one season at Florida State, and he finished that season with six catches for 114 yards and a touchdown. He then transferred to UTEP, where he sat out a season under transfer rules. 
Fred Rouse's last documented stop at the college level, this according to his Wikipedia page, so uh, take with a grain of Saul, grade of Saul, as they say on the round table. Um, Concordia College in Selma, Alabama. How about that for Fred uh, Rouse? Yeah, that's uh, so kind of the way it goes sometimes. Fred Rouse now, by the way, 34 years old. That seems impossible because uh, his recruitment seemed like literally – just yesterday, Tim. Hey, let's yeah. head back in. Go ahead. I said it did. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of those that you uh, you don't forget anytime soon. Let's head back into the uh, mailbag here. Let's see what we've got for us. Um, gosh, I'm checking the thread right now. We've already covered. Uh, we've covered Freddie Roach. Um, we've covered Aaron Hernandez, Jambama. Now, Jambama does want to know, how high is the potential for 2020 defensive line signing Smith, the defensive tackle, the big kid from the state of Florida, Tim? You know, I'm a big fan of Smith. I've been a big fan since his senior film came out the early first couple of games. Um, I might be higher than others, but, dude, I mean, that, that's a big kid. That's a big guy, 320 pounds. He's a dancing bear. He's quick. Off the snap, he pursues the ball well. I mean, he's got a, you know, you see defensive tackles, a lot of times the best defensive tackles in the country have a three-minute highlight tape based on their senior year. It's, it's hard to make, you know, you get double teamed, you get leaned on. It's hard being, you know, active, uh, you know, an entire game, especially at the high school level where you're not challenged. Like a Sean, a Sean Robinson, you know, everybody talked about how lazy he was. He just needed a challenge. Obviously, still in the National Football League, but... Uh, with Tim, I mean, it, you know, he's got a long, he's got a long uh, highlight tape, and he makes a lot of good plays pursuing the ball. He's quick, he's active. He puts those mitts on you, man. He's going to move you out of his way. A strong guy. I mean, it's hard to come into the SEC as a true freshman and play and be super effective on the defensive line. I think we saw that with the highly recruited guys that were freshmen this year. It's just hard. I mean, those those interior linemen, they're dealing with a lot of landon dickerson's there's a lot of third and fourth year guys who've been you know pounding weights that whole time and big strong kids with experience so uh he'll be fighting that battle but he's active and he's quick so i mean i'm expecting if he comes in he's in shape he's ready to play i think he's going to be an impact guy and alabama needs somebody on that front line i think they had six total sacks this year alabama's going to need somebody on that front line to step up you know, in that position with the Tim Smith of that guy, you know, it's like Terrence Cody. Terrence Cody statistically wasn't very good at Alabama. I mean, he didn't have 20, you know, 10, 12 sacks and all that. But what he did was he occupied, you know, he took three people to the dance for you. You had two or three guys blocking him. That frees up those linebackers. And they've got a lot of those guys in that in this class and some, some guys coming back next year like Dylan Moses and, and Christian Harris. They can fill that gap those, those guys leave open. So Tim's going to have a chance to impact. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, potentially pair him with McKinley Jackson as a couple of 2020 guys if it goes that way with Jackson here in the in the later period of the cycle. Yeah, that uh, that could be an Ashawn Robinson, Jaron Reed type situation uh, that you could be looking at here in the coming years, and certainly some uh, nice pieces that you still have from the 2019. Uh, run that you had up front on that defensive line. Hey, Tim, I think that's just about going to do it. We've taken this thing over an hour. I got to think at this point uh, we're good to go. Uh, the round table there at BamaOnline.com, as you've learned just as recently, is late night, Sunday night. Uh, a great place for nuggets, information, conversation, um, fellowship, 
if you will, with uh, Alabama fans and others from around college sports when you talk about the fan perspective. Always great place to be, the roundtable, BamaOnline.com. Anything else, Tim, as we get out of here on a Monday? No, I mean, there's still two weeks to the, you know, 17 days till the uh, national signing day, till the recruiting class is over. You know, obviously some rumors about the coaching changes. So still a lot going on. I mean, it's it seems quiet because Alabama, you know, you're used to a class, you know, before the last couple of years, you're used to a class signing 20, trying to sign 25 in February, but still a lot of, you know, a lot of balls in the air. So Alabama's looking to finish off a class, still have a chance for number one. It's going to be interesting. Georgia's got some scholarships to give Clemson um, is the number one class right now, but I think they're holding Pat unless they really get a guy they like. So Alabama's got a chance to move up a little bit. There you go. Tim Watts site publisher for BamaOnline.com. I'm Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL. Thanking you as always for joining us here on T Watts and TR, a part of the built by Bama online podcast. We certainly hope if you haven't already, you'll subscribe to the Built by Bama online podcast. Maybe leave us a five-star rating while you're there. Uh, Write up a quick review. We would certainly appreciate the input. Until next time, later in the week, as a matter of fact, for Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on T. Watts and TR. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.